Thank you, Priji, for having me um, here. Uh, I was here a couple of years back, two or three years back, and um, it's a great joy to be back in your midst. Thank you uh, for this wonderful opportunity to be with you all. I thank God and I trust that God will speak to our hearts as we hear his word and would strengthen us and enable us to press forward in what God has called each one of us to do. Before we start, can I pray? Can we pray and start this time seeking God? Let's pray. Father, we draw near to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we belong to you. We thank you for drawing us to yourself and drawing us to work with you. And my prayer is through this time, we would catch something more of your heart, of your great love and your great purpose. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So I ask you for the help of the Holy Spirit. Will you come, Holy Spirit? Will you open our eyes? Will you open our ears? Will you open our minds? Will you open our hearts to receive what you want to give us this time? Help us, Lord. We yield ourselves to you. Will you teach us, Holy Spirit? Will you guide us into all the truth? Will you take the things of Jesus and reveal it to us? Holy Spirit, come. I pray you would help me serve my brothers and sisters at this time. Please strengthen me and enable me. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I, want to, what I want to look at this time in this session is really looking at discipleship. And, um, and I've titled this session as A Purpose-Driven Discipleship. A Purpose-Driven Discipleship. What I'd like to do as we go through the session is um, look, first of all, at uh, as looking at the big picture and uh, seeing how discipleship fits into God's big picture. Then I want to look at the problem, the problem, what the problem that turned up and the solution God brings in and the disciples call uh, for joining God's purpose. And then I want to look at two, three important elements of what discipleship is all about. One is prayer and two, uh, look at kingdom engagement, um, and three, the sharing of the gospel, and four, finally, making disciples themselves. And in closing, I would like us to look at accountability and um, Jesus' return in the context of our disciple making. So. When we look at this, we see, uh, going back to Genesis chapter 1, we read, um, that's a good place to start. We see purpose there. Uh, is, we, are talk, we are looking, we've come to the sixth day of creation. And it says there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 onwards, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. 
God made wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw it was good. This is all happening on the sixth day. And we see uh, God has made the animals and he's uh, happy, he's seen it. Uh, wild animals uh, and the, all the exciting animals, the kangaroos jumping around, the hippos and the rhinos, the elephants and uh, yeah, this, you know, all these beautiful, wonderful creatures. And he looked at it and said, this is good. But now, having said that, there was something more he was going to do. And uh, then it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man, let us make mankind, the latest version of NIV says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, this is a very important uh, verse for us. It says, here it's, it is God community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who working together. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And, it, and it, it, the next words tell us why he's wanting to make man in his image and in his likeness. There's a purpose. He's, and he spells out, he tells us, he communicates to us the purpose for which He's doing this. He's making man very special. Well, in one sense, all of creation reflects something of who God is. But when he's making man, he's saying, I want to do this as an image of who we are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to make, I want us, let us make man to reflect who we are uh, in far bigger dimension than anything that he's done so far in these six days that he's gone. He says, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. And the next word says the purpose, so that they may rule. Here we see how God wants man to be made in his image to bring his rule, to bring his reflection, his, his glory on earth below and uh, that they may rule over all of God's creation. So we see this as something very, very special. And, um, you know, it's not just an image. And as we look further, we can see this is not just a, a statue that he's made and he's put it there and said, this is a reflection. Now, this is far more dynamic in terms of the image that, that man is bearing. This image is in a as we, can, as we look further into the scriptures, is an image that comes out of a, a relationship with his creator. He is an image, is a reflection, is a likeness that he shows forth in relationship with his creator, his God. So he is an image that reflects who God is. And so we see that uh, uh, God made man and we go on to see he made man male and female he created them and uh, we say uh, he sees them and he says i want them to rule they are 
they are our regents as it were they are they are the ones who will bring our governance on earth they are going to be ones who bring our kingdom on earth our rule uh, and and he specifies that right at the word go god commissions man god commissions man and we read that in genesis 1 verse 28 the very next verse and this is what it says god bless them and now we we are a blessed people we are a blessed people man is very specially blessed and you know he made all of creation very special but when he made man he blessed them and uh, we want that blessing in our lives uh, and that is something that is what god has made us to know his goodness his favor upon our lives to know his life into our lives and so we see how god has blessed man but it doesn't stop there it doesn't stop there that is something that we need to note and we need to understand because i believe many christians think of christian life as a life to be blessed enjoy the blessing of god and and that's it and very often preachers say come get blessed and that's it come here and you will have lots of blessing you'll get blessing upon blessing upon blessing and while that is true it doesn't end there well genesis 1:28 says god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground so having blessed man he goes on to say hey i'm commissioning you to do something i'm commissioning you to do something and this is something we need to i pray god the holy spirit will help us understand this is very crucial he not only blesses us and that's important we live in the blessing of god but he wants us having been blessed that he commissions us to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and uh, this is something that is given to man as an instruction as a he's commissioned to do this and he says now bring my rule even as you are with me and as you live with me and as you fellowship with me i want you to bring the rule of god over all that i have made i'm making you man i'm making you man and woman to be instruments that bring the rule of god the blessing of god is not only to be upon yourself but it is to be passed on bring the blessing of the kingdom to the to all of my creation now this is something that is you see this right from the word go from this chapter 1 and you can see this as a line that goes right to revelation he you know that things went wrong and we'll come back to that in a while and he god wiped out man and then he started afresh with noah and his family and then it says there in genesis chapter 9 after the floods had receded and uh, he he was he has let out of the ark and then in chapter 9 verse 1 it says then god blessed noah here again the same words god blessed 
uh, Noah. It's very, it's a very important part. There's our God is a God who loves to bless. But like we saw in Genesis chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, again, he's, he's reminding them of the commission that God, man has been given. He says, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And he repeats it in verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Here is the, 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 the work man is given to do. One, he starts off being blessed, and that's important. It starts off us coming to that place of great blessing. And in that, from that place of blessing, God calls us to work. God calls man to work. And here is the work. It's spelt out here. Be fruitful, increase in number, and it says it, to Noah, he uses multiply, multiply on earth and increase upon it. And you see that this is a thread that goes right through. When it talks about filling the earth, it reminds us of God's word in Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. He says, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled. This is what God was looking for man to do. He was looking for man to, to not only be blessed. He says, I want you to fill the earth. Fill the earth. Why? Because this is what I'm after. I want the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. God wants his glory to come on earth. And that's his heart. And somewhere we need to understand that and, and uh, see it. Now, you see, that is New Old Testament. And then we come to the time of Jesus and we, we will look more closely at this. But just to pick up the Great Commission. Can we see the Great Commission in this context? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So can we see the Great Commission as a continuum of the, of the commission God gave in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 that continues and uh, to my, going back, you remember uh, uh, Abraham, God blessed Abraham in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12. It says he blessed Abraham and he says, I'm blessing you. And he says, it's not just that you would just have a private limited blessing. You as a family would be special or even you as a nation would be blessed. He said, all the peoples will be blessed through you. All the peoples. This blessing must flow out. This blessing must go out. It's not just, I'm not just wanting you to be blessed because the heart of God is that all the people would come to this knowledge of who our God is, would connect with God, come back to that place and would take their place as images of God, reflecting the very likeness of our wonderful God. And in so doing, the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And so we must see discipleship. 
in this context, in this context, that it is God who wants not just for us to be enjoying some blessing by myself, but the call of a disciple, and we look more at that, is that this blessing goes out and goes out to all the people. All the peoples will be blessed by you, Abraham. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Hey, go make disciples of all nations. You see, the heart of God is for all, not just that we would just have a nice time. And that's my prayer, that somehow we would get catch the heart of God, that it's not just that we would be having a nice church to ourselves and be a, a, a happy people and a blessed people, but the heart of God is the church would be a blessing to all the nations. The church would be a blessing. The blessing of God would flow out from the earth to all the earth, to all the nations. The nations would be blessed through the church. And this we see fulfilled in Revelation. At the end of the story, we have a, a peek into what's going to come. It's Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> Verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So you see, from the garden, it's become a big city. From the garden, it has gone out, and the earth is filled with this wonderful city, and the key mark of this city is God is in the midst of that city. Friends, that's what we are about. That is the mission of God. That is what God seeks to bring to the earth. And our disciple making must be seen in the context of God's big purpose and plan. So let's press forward. As we are aware, we see the, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and the problem. How, what, how did it all happen? What happened? Well, you see, it says, For God knows, and it, there, there is Adam and Eve in the garden, and uh, we see how the serpent comes there, and uh, he, she begins to engage with Eve, and, uh, and uh, the serpent says, For God knows that when you eat uh, from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, you know, it struck me now, he, man was made to be like God. So serpent, you see, uses very often some part of the truth and twists this to, and, and, and brings in his own evil into that, that precious truth. God had made man to be like God. Man was made in the likeness of God. And here the serpent say, hey, you can be like God. Of course, we are already, we've got it in place to be we be in God. God has made us for this. But what was he saying? Hey, drawing him away and saying, hey, you don't have to depend on God for knowing good and evil. Why don't you see it for yourself? 
Why don't you see it for yourself? You don't have to know what depending on God and he telling you what is good and right. That's why God said, hey, you can eat of all the trees, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't, don't eat it. Why? You, I will show you in my relationship. I will walk with you. I will show you. I will speak to you this way, my son. No, don't do that. Do it this way. I will lead you and I will guide you in the right paths for my name's sake. So here is God saying, hey, I've made you in my likeness. I've made you and, and, I, and I will show you, but it will be in, in relationship with me. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will lead you in the right paths. As Psalm 23, uh, the psalmist recalled, he leads me, he guides me in the right paths for his name's sake. And that is something which God says, I don't want you to be independent in knowing good and evil. I will show it to you. And that was God's heart. But what the serpent doing, the enemy doing, was drawing man away from God. And say, hey, you don't have to depend on God. Come on, you can decide for yourself. You experience it and then you will see. And sadly, Eve gave in to that temptation and rebellion came in. He refused. I want to be like God apart from God. And so we see, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, all these things God has made provision. He says, you, I will feed you with the words that come from my mouth. I will, my will is something that will bring pleasure for, to you. My joy, you'll find your joy with me. I'm the joy giver. And uh, you will gain wisdom. The fear of God, the honoring of God will bring wisdom to you. But here was the woman being tempted to look at that and say, this will give me, this will satisfy me. This will give me pleasure. This will give me the wisdom which I'm looking for. And that's the sadness. And that we must understand is what sin is really about. A godless living you know we it's not going through a list of saying this is sin and this is not sin but really sin is really being god-centered and god-dependent in the way we live and in that place where we are living lives apart from him even doing the right thing apart from him is what sin is about and so we see and then the, you see in the next verses uh, the consequence of that is when man moving away from God. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Hey, God was their covering. God clothed them with his glory and his splendor. And he was their covering. He was their, their, the, the beauty of their lives. And suddenly they were stripped of what God had given them. And they were exposed and shame came in and they had to cover themselves of this and saying hey I need to cover myself I'm I'm feeling ashamed of myself and they and they sought to bring covering for them well uh, and then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Their relationship was broken. They ran away from God. Whereas the fear of God, the honoring of God draws us to God, 
the, well, the fear that, that the enemy brings in makes them run away from God. And they wanted to hide themselves. And the fear came in. You can, you can see, you can see uh, that the, the, they were lost. They wanted to hide themselves, we are told. And then, but God came after them. God came after them. Here, see the heart of God. He says, it's the verse 9, And the Lord God called out to man, Where are you? Where are you? You've drifted away. You've moved away. You've lost your bearings. Where are you? That's the heart cry of God. Where are you? That's where man is lost without God being the center point of his life. He's lost. And that's what describes the, the, where the condition of man. He's in a lost condition. Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid, hid. The fear of punishment had come in. The fear of punishment. God's love drives away every fear. But with that broken relationship, the fear of punishment coming in and saying, hey, I was afraid. I hid myself. I couldn't face you. Well, Isaiah says in Isaiah 59 verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. This is the condition of man. Man separated from his God. And we see Jesus describing this. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And that's what, that's what was, was the condition. The enemy had come in to rob, kill, and destroy man. And that's the ache and pain of God as he sees man, as, as was described in Matthew chapter 9, the end of that chapter, when Jesus saw the crowd, his heart was filled with compassion. He said, they are harassed and oppressed like sheep without a shepherd. Strong words. There was a deep ache within, in, within Jesus, seeing the condition of man. He said, they are harassed and oppressed. And, the, and the, 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 the NIV uses the word harassed and helpless with no one there to help them. The enemy was having a field of a day and he just was robbing them, killing them and destroying them. And God's full of compassion, he says. But in seeing this, verse 10 goes on. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Or other version says, life abundantly. Jesus has come to give life where the enemy had drawn him away from that fountain of life. You see Jesus coming to give life. I have come to give you life and life to its full. This is the heart of God. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. He loved the people in the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, have ever everlasting or eternal life. 
This is the heart of God. God sees the condition of man and sends his son with this view to see man come back, being rescued from the enemy. Zechariah's song in, in Luke chapter 1, he's come to rescue us from our enemies. God, Jesus came on a rescue mission. And, um, and you see the heart. He sent his one and only son, his most beloved one, as we say in Malayalam, the Omna Kutamon of the Father, the Omna Kut, the darling one. He sent him from heaven. And it, Romans 8, verse 32 says, He did not spare his only son, his own son. Priji has Israel. Now, if I ask Priji, hey Priji, uh, I'll give you uh, a lakh, will you let me have Israel? He'll say, no way, no way. He'll just laugh at me. I'll increase the offer. Oh, 10 lakhs. One crore. A house in, in Pedder Road, Bombay. And, uh, and, and, you, and you, I can increase the offer. New York. What about one of these multinationals? But he said, no, 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 no. This is my beloved son. My precious. He is the son I love. No way, no way will I give up my son. But we have a God. Now, Priji and all of us are far from perfect. If we who are imperfect, if Jesus said, if you who are evil love your sons like this, how much more the father's love for his beloved son. Time and again, he said, this is my precious beloved son with whom I take so much joy. He, he is the delight of my heart. God did not spare him, but gave him up for us all. That is his heart. He sent his son. He gave his son. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he's a God who says, I don't want them to perish. Not wanting anyone to perish, but I want them to come back to me. Can you, can you, can you see the heart of God? Can you see his passion to say, I don't want these people to perish. I want them to come back. I want them to turn around and come to me. While it was impossible, while it was impossible, there was no way God sent his son to make a way. In uh, Paul writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, hey, pray, pray. I want you to pray for all men. He is a God who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Come to know him. That's his passion. He says, I, I want them to be saved. I want them to be rescued. You know, sometimes we can get so used to some of these words that we read so often. But God help us to see the passion of God, the heart of God, the heartache of God, and his, his desire. God wants, it says. God wants. Just That's a strong word. God wants. God wants something. He wants people to come back to him. Well, he, that's what he did. He is a God who, who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us. And what was he doing through it all? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This is what 
salvation is about. Reconciliation. Come back into right relationship. Come back to the shalom of God. Come back to peace. Peace is not just a peace, peace, you know, a nice uh, word that we speak. No, he's talking about a, a dynamic relationship where you know God is not just ceasing to be stopping being hostile, but he is so actively for us. He is for us. He loves us. He's passionate about us. He says, this is what God is doing. He's reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Friends, this is the best news ever. This is the best news ever. God is not counting people's sins against them. Why? Because he's counted it on Jesus. There he sent his son, who knew no sin, to become sin. My sin. Your sin. Sin of the whole world. Was put on Jesus. And Jesus, the omna kutamon, the object of God's love, there on the cross becomes the object of God's wrath. And from drinking the cup of God's blessing, he was taken, that cup was taken away, and he was made to drink the cup which Jesus didn't want to drink. He said, Father, if it is at all possible, take this cup away from me. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, drank from the cup of God's wrath for all of mankind. Friends, I'm, you and I are all familiar with these things, but I'm bringing back this back to you in the context of what we are talking, the topic of discipleship, the passion of God, that he made his son drink from that cup. And there on that cross, he turns his face away. And you see the most horrific cry that the world will ever hear. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's because of his great love and passion for you and me and for the people he has made. The people in the world. God so loved the world. Friends, I'm taking time to see this because the disciple is running after a God, is following a God. And we must miss this crucial, critical aspect of God and his heart. It's important that disciple must catch the heart of God because this is the God he is following. This is the Jesus he's following. This is the heart of our Father in heaven. He is a God who loves people. He loves the people in the world and he's concerned about them. He's concerned about you and me. He's brought us in. But the task is not over. He's concerned about the people who are around us who don't yet know Jesus. Well, God sent Jesus on this mission. It's fascinating to see in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of John, how Jesus 
identifies himself as the sent one. Sent one. He is sent with a mission. He is sent with the mission of God. He says, just as the Son of Man, he says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he came on this mission, he says, and this is how he spells it out here, 20, Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the mission he came. He came as the Lamb of God to give his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Luke chapter 19 verse 10, he says, he again gives a mission statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Where are you? That's the cry of Jesus' heart. And he comes to seek, search people out. Where are you? I've come to meet you where you are. He doesn't say, come to me where I am. He goes to people where they are. And this is Luke 19 is coming just after his uh, visit to Zacchaeus' home. And people are talking, what's this Jesus? <laughs> what's he doing going to a tax collector's house? Well, Jesus has come to seek. He's come to search out those who are people who are lost out. They might be the rejects of people, but Jesus uh, uh, is searching them out. And he finds Zacchaeus up on the tree. Come down. I'm coming to your house. I'm meeting you where you are. He goes after two statements. He's come to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lamb of God to atone for the sins of the world. Number two, he came to seek and save the lost. Search out and find. At the, in John chapter 17, uh, at the end of Jesus' uh, life on earth, he makes this prayer. It's a time where Jesus gave account to his father. John chapter 17, uh, Jesus was accountable. Huh? And he says, you gave me 12, one is lost and he was destined for uh, to be lost but I've kept this 11 I've kept the 11 and then he goes on to say I finished the work you gave me to do I've finished the work you gave me to do John 17 verse 4 I have brought you glory on earth the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And this is all part of it. God has not changed his mind. We must see the wholeness, the, the completeness of the word of God from the whole book. It's, you know, we can read it in very isolated ways, but it's really one message running right through. He says, I have brought you glory on earth. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. I brought you glory on earth by... Finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, what is the work he came to do? One, he's going to give his atoning, his life as an atoning sacrifice. Well, he was heading towards that. And that would get completed. But the next one says, he came to seek and to save the lost. And so the question says, is, did he finish doing that work? Did Jesus finish doing the work? He said he's come to save the lost people. Did he, did he do that? 
it was quite a dismal story at the end of, of his life on earth. He just about had his 12 with him. Everyone else ran away. Even the 12 were ready to go, run away home. And, you know, everybody had deserted him. He says, I've finished the work. I've finished the work. Well, I want to say his work goes on. He's done his part. Jesus has done his part. And then the work goes on with the disciples of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus carry on the mission. The disciples of Jesus carry on the mission of Jesus. Jesus has finished his part, which was to give his life as an atoning sacrifice on the cross. And then he turns to his disciples and says to them, hey, you follow me. Do you remember the call of, of the disciples right in the beginning in Matthew chapter 4? Come follow me. And what will happen to you? You'll know forgiveness for your sin. You'll be blessed. And, you know, your life will get sorted out. You'll enjoy peace. And you will enjoy me coming to help you and rescue you. You'll enjoy my presence. Your life will be filled with good things. Hey, that's all true. But you know, right in the beginning, Jesus spelt it out. And it's important we spell it out to the disciples. He says, he says listen, come follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. This is what a disciple is. Come follow me and you'll become like me. You will join me in my mission. Come, come, come. Join me. Join with me. Hang out with me. And when you hang out with me, you will become like me. You will become like me. Because... I am a fisher of men. My job, my heart, is I'm in the business of getting people back to myself. I'm in the business of getting lost people, finding them and bringing them. Come join me and catch my heart. This is a disciple. This is a disciple. A disciple is one who is becoming like the master. And our master is an ace fisher of men. And he says, you come with me, you follow me, you'll become like me. I will make you to become like me. And like me, you will also fish for people. Uh, it's, it's spelled out in John chapter 15 is a, is a, has got much in it. Well, all of the Bible has got it, but has got some amazing truths in it. He says, hey, uh, I am the wine, you are the branches. And you know, if you, I was just thinking about it, meditating on that, and um, you know, it, it reminds you of the tree of life that was there in the garden. And it repeats there in, in Revelation. Here is another tree. He says, I'm grafting you in into the tree of life. I am the tree of life. I am the life. In me is life. I am the wine. And you get, you get grafted into me. You get joined with me. You get fixed onto me. And my life flows into your life. 
you, my life sap flows into you. And if you do that, if you live in me as I live in you, your life will start bearing fruit. You remember the commission? This is very, very, very basic. My life flows into you and your life will start bearing fruit. You'll become like Jesus, the character of Jesus, but not just the character of Jesus. Your, your life will begin to be fruitful in, in, in producing what God wants us to be producing. What Jesus produces, you will begin to produce. Well, he says, live in me, live in my love. This is very important because our union with Jesus is not some sort of getting into a blob. It's a, a very personal relationship. It is us knowing that love, depending and relying on that love, enjoying that love. And, we, and in love, we return that love to him. We love him because he first loved us. As we live in that love, our love pours out into him. And there's that union. It's a love union. It's a love union between us and Jesus. He says, and let my words live in you. Let my words remain in you. Let my words abide in you, it talks about. That's where we get to know his word. We understand what it is. And the word brings forth. And it, as, as we do that, we begin to pray. It talks about asking. It's all there in John chapter 15. But I want to point out something. John chapter 15, verse 16. Okay, John chapter 15 verse 16. This is a very important scripture. It came just, it hit me because it's a scripture I'm like, you know, I'm familiar with it and, uh, but suddenly I saw it afresh. You see, I've quoted this scripture many times. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm so glad I am God chose me. That is wonderful to know. Hey, it was not my idea. You know, I think I'm messed up, but God chose me. Hallelujah. That gives me great assurance. That gives me great confidence. That gives me great encouragement. He chose me. Hallelujah. He's, he, has, he knows everything about me and he chose me. And that's wonderful. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth to know I am here by the choice of God. I'm here by the choice of God. But, you know, what hit me recently afresh was, that scripture goes on, it doesn't stop there. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you. Appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Wow! Hey, God chose me and he had a purpose in mind. And it says, he uses this word, appointed me. He's given me a nyuktkia. In, in, in Hindi it says nyuktkia. He placed me, gave me an appointment. It is given me and here is a job description that goes with it. Just as you, if you get a, a, a job, a new job, they give you an appointment letter and they spell out what you are expected to do and what you will receive in return. And so we see 
hey, God, there is, it is saying, God is saying, I'm appointing you for a very specific work. I'm appointing you, I'm giving you a work to do. This is what I'm appointing you so that you might go, go and bear fruit. Now, when we talk about fruit, very often we think about fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, patience, long-suffering, all that, and that is very, and all this speak of who Jesus is. We bear the, the character of Jesus, uh, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we live in him, certainly that life, his, Jesus' life in us, makes us increasingly Christ-like. It makes us Christ-like. And so we see, but here it says there, these words are important, there's an appointment given so that you might go. This is not something that you do sitting in your home. There's a getting up and going. Getting up from your seat and walking across the room and meeting that colleague of yours across the room, going, getting up from your house, going next door to your neighbor, or going to your shop and meeting them, engaging with them, and giving us, and that is a fruit for God. There's a fruit for God that comes. And so this is important, that we understand this is, is very important for the disciple. We say, we saw this at the right at the beginning, come follow me, I'm going to make you, make you people who will be able to fish for people, catch people and bring them to God. And here it is saying again, I've chosen you that you might go and bear fruit. Friends, at the very, and I'm working on this to really show you that at the very heart of, the, of discipleship must be learning to become like Jesus in his love and passion for people, people who don't yet know him. And this is what he says in, in John chapter 20. The first words, this first encounter with these disciples after he's risen from the dead. Huh? He comes to them. He, this is his first, very first meeting he had met Mary earlier. Mary goes and reports them and tells them that, that uh, these, uh, I met, saw Jesus. And now he's meeting with the gathering of the disciples. And Jesus walks in into this closed room. It must have been awesome. <laughs> there is Jesus standing in them. And his first words are, peace, peace be with you. And, uh, and then he shows them his, his hands, his feet, his side. He says, this is the cost that I paid to get peace to you. Take it. Peace with God. Your relationship with God has been established by what I did for you on the cross. Peace. Then he says, you know what is next verse? He repeats it again. Peace to you. And then verse 21 says, and again, and Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. For Jesus, this is very, very important. This is in fact the most important thing that he wants to communicate to his disciples. He says, I came sent by the Father. 
I came on a mission. What was his mission? To give his life as a ransom for people. I didn't come to get served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom, as an atoning sacrifice for their sins so that they would be reconciled to God. I finished doing that. Here it is. I've done it. It's completed. You've got it now. Peace. I'm giving you the peace that I purchased for you by the work that I did. Now that you've got peace with God, I'm asking you, I am sending you out. As the Father sent me from heaven, I'm sending you out. Friends, this is something that you've got to work out. Is this only for the apostles? Or is this a call to every disciple? I believe it is. I believe it is a call to every disciple. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? Here it is. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, you know, I don't know about you. I've used the scripture many times at the beginning of the church meeting. At the beginning of our praise and worship time, I've said, hey, guys, this is what we are called to, to proclaim the praises of God. And so let's have this time, maybe 45 minutes, sometimes one hour, maybe half an hour, depending, different churches have it. Now it's the time to praise and worship God. Let's proclaim his praises. Now, that is true. As a church, proclaiming praises of God is, is awesome. But surely it is more than that. Surely it is more than that. It's not just that we may praise him at the church meeting. That half an hour, 45 minutes or one hour at the church meeting. Certainly there's more to it. I believe the scripture is really calling us to proclaim who our God is in the world outside. Not just on Sunday morning, but this is our calling to do. This is our life calling to show forth who our God is to the world outside. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, and I'll come back to this, that we may proclaim, our call is to proclaim, to declare who our God is, this amazing, wonderful God that he is. Which brings us to the first aspect of our, what a disciple is meant to be doing. One, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I want to ask you, what is the work of a priest? One, he offers sacrifice to God. But that's not, that's part of it. And he, he turns God's word and he's, he brings and he take, goes, he's standing between, he's got a position between God and man. He's ministering to God and he brings the word of God to man and brings the burden of man to God. He's in an in-between place. He stands in between. There's a gap in which he stands in. 
and he's, he's in this place and the role of a, this thing is one, to take the word of God to the people and to pray for the people before God. So this is very important. This is our call. God has made the disciple a priest. He says, you are a royal priest. Why are we a royal priest? We are connected with the king. We are related to the king. We've got royalty in our, in our blood because we are related to him. And he gives us authority. This priest has got authority to bring God's rule to the people. But as a priest, he's called us to pray. Stand in the gap and pray. Stand in the gap and pray. Now, this is my own journey. I don't know how you have taken it and how you have done. But I want to say, you know, in our journey, uh, we, I've said, thought of this, uh, we, we all believe in the priesthood of all believers. Every church believes in the priesthood of all believers. It talks about, and I've heard it preached, say, okay, we are priests, now let's take time to pray for one another. And hey, come on, pray for your brothers and sisters. You can pray because God has made you a priest. And uh, we do that in the church. And certainly in the church, we must pray for one another. But I want to ask you this one thing. If a priest sees his duty finished by praying for his fellow priest, something is missing big time. If a priest sees, I've, I prayed for my brother, who is a priest also, and I prayed for my brother, my sister, and I've interceded and I've carried their burden and I've prayed and yeah, I've done my job. I've done my priestly duty. We are missing something. We are missing something big time. If I see my function of my priest, my job as a priest is to pray for my fellow priest. Certainly, the work of a priest is to stand between God and the people who are not priests. God wants us to be a people who are carrying the burdens of the people who don't yet know God. As a priest, as a community, the, the church is a community of priests. Every Christian a priest. And our calling is to stand in the gap between God and the people who don't yet know him, to stand and pray. God says, I've made you a priest for that purpose. We have a calling to stand in the gap and intercede. I want us to know that in the economy of God, our intercessory prayer plays a very critically important role. You remember Abraham? He interceded. He interceded for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. He interceded for his nephew and his family. Well, because of Abraham's prayer, I Lot and his family got saved. Moses repeatedly interceded for the people. God was going to destroy the people. But Moses stood in the gap and said, God, no, no, don't, don't destroy them, please. I plead with you, please. He, he stood in the gap and said, God, you destroy me, but don't destroy your people. I plead with you. God heard his prayer and the people were saved. Repeatedly. 
there are about four or five times that we read where Moses interceded and God heard the prayer and changed. David interceded for his people and his people got saved from destruction. Ezekiel 22, 29, 30, and 31. I see the people, they are corrupt and they are bribing and they are, they are treating foreigners badly. And, you know, this is enough. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to, my judgment is going to come to those people and I'm, I'm destroying them. I'm, I, I've had enough. I'm not going, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pour out my wrath and I'm going to bring, consume them with my anger. But yet, God's heart is say, I don't want them to perish. And so what does he do? Verse 30 says, he looked for a man. He looked for a man. Who is it who will build up the standard, speak the word of God to them and build up the standard of God? And who is it who will stand in the gap and pray and intercede for these people? Where can I find a person like that? He says, God searched. He searched for a person. Where can I find? I'm, I'm, I don't want to destroy these people. And the, and the way out is, if somebody stands in the gap and prays, they will be saved. They will be saved from my wrath. They will be saved from perishing under the judgment of God. And the tragedy is, verse 30 says, God looked, but he found no one. He found no one. He found no one. Perhaps no one was. Everybody was busy. Everybody was busy with their own thing. They had no time. Forget it. I've got my, I'm going to look after myself. I don't want to be thinking of others. I'm sorry, I'm not available. Prayer meeting, forget it. <laughs> I've got other important things to do. No, no, no. Uh, it's all right. You know, Says God searched. Who is it? Where is that person? Because these people are going to perish and I don't want them to perish. And the solution is, will there be someone who will stand in the gap? And it says, verse 30 ends by saying, he found no one. And then verse 31 goes on to say, and so God poured out his wrath and consumed the people. And they perished under the wrath of God. Friends, our prayers make a difference. Our prayers make a difference. If we pray, people will get saved. If we don't pray, people are perishing. God says, I've made you priests. I've equipped you. I've wired you. I've qualified you. To be priests who could stand in the gap and pray. I want to ask you, will we teach these things to our disciples? Will we train them? God is make, calling people to join him in his mission. May I remind you of that parable that Jesus spoke? He is the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. That's the heart of God. Matthew writes, he says, there is, 
greater happiness over one that is saved than the 99 who remains. It's, it's, it's harsh, hard words. But God says that is the God. He's passionate about finding lost people. He's passionate about them. People coming to know God. And he's looking for people who catch that heart. There's one more scripture I would like to uh, talk about before we move on in this, uh, the first element of, of, of the Christian life that we want to establish in the uh, disciple, in the area of prayer, the importance of prayer. We saw how every believer is a priest to God. The second uh, scripture in this area is where Mark 11 verse 17, Mark 11 17. Here we have Jesus coming into the temple area and um, it's a mess there. People are selling, bargaining, business is going on. It's a marketplace and Jesus is grieved by what he saw and you see him with a righteous anger and, um, and he drives away those people uh, rather aggressively. You know, you, very, one of the few places that you see this aspect of Jesus. And, he, and then he says he he taught them. He opened up the word and he taught them. And he opened up to Isaiah 56 verse 7 and, and, he's, and he taught them and said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? Now when I think of this scripture, why did Jesus have to pick up this in this context? He could have said, my house will be a house of Bible teaching. My house will be a house of fellowship. Uh, my house will be a house of sacrifice. My house will be a house of different things. He could have picked up anything, but he picked up this important thing. For me, it speaks that this Jesus sees as a very core purpose of, of the church, the community of disciples. What is it? It's a house of prayer for all nations. Now, the, it's interesting here, when, when we talk about house of prayer for all nations, the word is Gentiles. Uh, this word that is used most in other places is, is translated as Gentiles. Here it's used as all nations and all peoples. It's the word for Gentiles. It's the people outside. So what he's saying to these Jews is this most holy place for the nation is really uh, is one of the primary purpose of the temple in Jerusalem is that it's meant to be a place of prayer for the people who don't belong to the nation. Now that, my dear friends, we need to catch and understand something of the, the church. God wants it to be a place of prayer for, yeah, we must pray for one another. We must pray for this one's job, the daughter's marriage and uh, exams coming up. And oh, we must pray for one another, carry one another's burdens. But let's not miss one of the most important purpose of the church is to be a house of prayer for the people outside. Leader, church leader, I want to ask you, is your church, would, would God look at your church and say, yes, this church is a house of prayer for the people outside? Very important. Let's go on to the next one. Our call, our call to do good works. And, um, you know, Jesus was concerned. He said, Jesus is the light of the world and he came as light. But he turns now to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. 
You are the light of the world. Darkness, great darkness. But I want to say to you, you are the light. I was light while I was here. I'm going to go back and now you are the light of the world. It says a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light up a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, Jesus' concern was the light would be hidden. That we would have this light that we are, and we would keep it in a, in, in a place it under a bowl. It's ridiculous. You don't light up a lamp and put it under a bowl and keep it hidden. No, the light must be put in a place which will give light to the maximum number of people. And this is what it says. It's, he, this is his concern. The church must not just keep enjoy the light to themselves. You are the light of the world for the people outside. That is what God wants to impress on his people. Do you, you Will you and I take this responsibility of being a light to the people in the world? You are the light of the world, not the light of the church. So our goal in making disciples is, this is very important, that they are shining out there in the world. That their lives, and this is the purpose, are they shining forth? Their family life, their marriage, their attitude to work, their ethics at work, character. Is it shining forth the life of God in them? That's what discipleship is about. Is that we would see these people built up to shine out the light. And the light is not to be meant to be kept inside. You know, I was talking to a pastor recently. And he was talking, yeah, you know, I want to see my people active uh, and uh, seeing becoming disciples and getting discipled and be active. You know, we miss the meetings, you know, the, the opportunity they had to be a part of the welcome team. Now, for that pastor, an active Christian meant means he's part of the welcome team. So often, I, and this was my own journey. I'm not just talking about that pastor. I'm talking about my own journey has been, I want to see people active. And my idea of being active is, they must be active in the church meeting. Yeah, They must be praying. They must be uh, uh, bringing a word of encouragement. Or they must be active in serving and uh, setting up the meeting place. And, and the many things that are related to the church meeting. And that is good. But it, that is not what Christian life is about. The light must be shining outside, not inside. If we are just doing that, it's just about keeping getting a light and putting it under a vessel and keeping it hidden. Jesus was concerned about that. He's a Christian. Don't let your light just be put under a vessel. Put it in a place where it gives light to everyone in the house. And by house, he was not meaning the, the church inside. But put it in a way, the light is shining outside. How many of us are intentional about seeing our people shining out in the world? That the, the light of God in, a, in the disciples' life must be shining to the people in the midst of whom they have been placed in. Let your light shine before others. That is the intention. That is the burden of Jesus. 
Let your light shine before others. Let the disciples' light shine before others. Can we see that as a focus of our discipling? Can we see that being very intentional as a goal, as a purpose of our disciple, uh, disciple input is they would be out there shining. May that purpose drive us. So be active in the works that are doing, good, doing good to what Paul writing to, to uh, Titus particularly has this, a people eager to do good, eager to serve. And even in this pandemic time, I want to say it's an opportunity for us to do good to those outside. We can be caught about surviving in, 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 in the church and this is a challenge for our church life. But it goes beyond our church life. It goes, it is an opportunity for us to do, serve and do good to others. Church history will tell us that the church was a shining forth time at times like the ones we have gone through on even worse times. The Christians were out there sacrificially serving others. People were thrown onto the street with infection and said, oh, we don't want anything to do. The Christian went and lifted them and cared for them. That's, that is when Christianity burst forth out. The, why? The light was shining before others. Do we see the pandemic as an opportunity for the light to shine out? That we are equipping. So Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, equipping the people for works of service verse 11 it, it says equipping the weeks and you know we can be oh what is your idea of service is it the service welcome team meeting set up bringing a word of encouragement prayer in the meeting is that the i was like thinking like that for a long time hey the works of service is service out there and that is one of the purpose, the purpose of discipleship should be that they are equipped, they are built up to shine out there serving. Their thinking is others minded. As we are told in Philippians chapter 2, have the same mindset as that of Jesus Christ who his mindset was not thinking about himself, he thought about others who in very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. What does a servant do? He's others-minded. He's seeking the interest of others. Jesus came with that mindset. Not my will, but the will of yours, Father. And what is the Father's will? To seek and to save people and bring them in. The disciples must have that same mindset as that was in Jesus. So want to say that, 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 and finally that comes to point three of uh, discipling, is that they are trained and equipped to share the good news. If you will turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 onwards, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 onwards, 14 says, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Hey, the amazing thing, Jesus died our death. And that is the amazing, greater love no man has than this. Then one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus counts us as his friends and gave his life for us. Wow, wow. May we, may we ever caught up with this love. 
because Paul writes to the Corinthians, let this love compel you. Let this love push you to live for him. Goes on, and he died for all, verse 15, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Friends, this is the, the love of Christ must compel and say, I want to live for this Jesus who loves me this way. He gave his life for me. This is the motivation. And our discipling is really to bring people into this great love that God has for people. So to draw them to know this love and be motivated to live for this Jesus, to live a life that is set apart for him, and to lay down our life seeking the interest of others. So it says, from now onwards, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view is a self-centered point of view. What can give me the greatest advantage? What can I get? But from a godly point of view, you're saying, what can I give? What can I give to the others? What can I give to the people around me? And so from now onwards, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. What can we get out of him? We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And now verse 18. And all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Hallelujah. What an amazing thing. God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. So we have a wonderful time of praise and worship. God, I'm reconciled. I'm reconciled. Amazing what you have done for me. And we can, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 18 goes on to say, all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And listen to this. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. To every child of God who has been reconciled to God, this work has been given to them. Join me in the ministry of reconciliation. I'm giving you this job. I'm appointing you to this work of reconciling people. To This is what I am doing. I'm in right now in the business of reconciling people back to me through what Jesus, my son, has done. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Bring him to Jesus. And I'm asking, I'm giving you this work to do. I'm entrusting. Many of us, what is my ministry? I wonder, are you like this? And I want this. And my, my ministry, I attend workshops. I attend seminars. I attend conferences. What is my ministry? My ministry. Hey, here it is. Yeah, every person who has been reconciled to God has been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is a universal ministry given to every believer. It's right there, black and white. Verse 19 says, And God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This is the best news anyone can hear. Friends, you have got this message. God is not counting your sins against you. And he has committed that message of reconciliation to you. Every believer has been given this message. God is not counting people's sins against them. There's reconciliation in Jesus. I'm giving this message to you. Take it. Take it across and give it to the person who sits opposite you at the office. Take it to the person who is living next door. 
take it to that shopkeeper who you're going two, three times a day to buy your bread and eggs. Take it to them. I'm giving you this message. He says he has committed to us. It speaks of a responsibility being given. There's a responsibility being given. Uh, this message is being committed to you. And verse 20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Every believer is a huge responsibility, friend. It's a huge responsibility. It's not just a, ah, I'm an ambassador of Christ, you know, nice feeling, nice, you know. We've got used to some of these phrases. It's a job to be done. An ambassador is responsible to take the message to the people in the alien land. Friend, every believer has that responsibility. Acts 17 says that he, God has made one man and he, has, and he placed them to inhabit the whole earth. All the, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did that. Amazing scripture. Acts 17 verse 27. God did this. God did this. What did he do? He appointed times for people. He appointed where people should stay. He did this. Why? He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Friends, listen to this. All that God does in, in this big thing of placing people at different places is done with this great passion of his, oh, that they would somehow find God. They would somehow search for God. That is why he's appointed people at times and places. And you and I are part of that great plan and purpose. Do you know that you, every believer, has been placed in a particular place and at a particular time in the great big purpose of God? And the great big purpose of God is this, that the people around should find God. Can we, put, can we help the believers see this? As a responsibility, God has placed you where you are. You think you've got a great nice job uh, in Microsoft. Well done. You got a big increase in your salary. Fantastic. They're giving you, they give you so much perks to, you know, they allow you to buy equipment for uh, your, uh, you know, keep fit and all. Fantastic. Wow. What a lucky guy you are. Hey, there's something greater purpose in you getting into that Microsoft. It's not about the paycheck. It's not about the perks you get and the privileges you have and the experience you get working for Microsoft. There are people there. And God has appointed you there. That those, because he loves the people in that. And he has sent you as an ambassador into the midst of those people. You have a message for those people. Your life is a message. You've got a message that you've got to speak out to those people. Can we help people see that? That is what our life is about. So I say, hey, this is what I tell people. List down to 20 people around. Look at the people around you. Your neighbor, your friend, your shopkeeper, the people who come into your house to clean the house, the people you work with. Write down the names of 20 people around you. Just be aware of the people. Like, for example, we had a man 
who used to, we used to buy eggs from back in Noida. And we used to just call him Andawala. Now he said, no, no, this is one of our people. These are people God has placed around us. We meet him every morning. Hey, what's your name? Find out his name. Oh, he's lame. Find out why he's lame. Begin to see what they are going through. So somewhere you're connecting with them and sharing God's love with them and giving them the message God has for that man to say, hey, because this is a, this is a message from God for you. I have that responsibility. I've been given this message by God who loves Vikas. One day I'll have to stand before God and say, God, you'll say, I gave you a message. Did you give it? Can I have an account? Can I have an account? Praying for those people. Lifting them up before the throne of God. Praying for them. Praying God's blessing on them. Praying God's help on them. Most of all, praying their hearts will be prepared and ready to receive God's love and the good news of Jesus Christ. Their eyes would be opened to see. Praying our prayers, like we saw in Ezekiel 22, makes a difference. Our prayers make a difference. Will you lift up those names before God? And as we lift them, God begins to work. God begins to do open them up. So these are things that we want to focus in, in our disciple making, equipping them. Finally, I just want to touch on the aspect of accountability. Uh, we have this uh, in Luke chapter 19. God has visited Zacchaeus and he has... Um, uh, gone and he's come out and he's made this people are talking he's been to Zacchaeus horrible wicked man no no Jesus is clear about his mission I've come to seek and save the lost he's making that and he's heading to Jerusalem and he heads to a Jerusalem and, uh, he, and he knows what is awaiting him and uh, but people thought he's come now the Messiah wow miracle worker fantastic blessing he's going to become our king and we are all getting blessed and you know, hey, this is fantastic. We are going to make him our king. And they were all excited. And Jesus said, your thinking is wrong. And it says, Luke chapter 19, verse 11 says, While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, no, your thinking is wrong. There's something, there's a pause to this, there's a pause to this, the kingdom coming. And let me explain to you what this pause, and for to explain the pause for the kingdom, the timing of the kingdom, the timing of his return, Jesus shared this story. He said, there was a man of noble man, he was going to a distant country to be made, uh, being appointed king, very evidently, speaking of what he was going to go through, and, his, and he said, I'm, uh, he went and was going to return. But before he went, he, he called 10 of his servants. And it says there, and he gave them 10 minas. He said, gave each one of them a mina each. And he said, put this money to work until I come back. Instruction. I'm giving you this mina. What I want you to do it, I want you to put it to work. 
until I come back. Yes, very specific what Jesus is saying this nobleman said to his servant. But you know, he said uh, some of them hated and all the rest of it. And, but uh, he went, he was made king and he comes home. He returns home. Then he sent for the servant to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained for it. He calls them back. He's come back. He's made king. Now it's all settled. And he calls. He calls the ten servants. Now give me an account. Give me an account as to what you have gained from it. Listen to it, friends. He said, you thought the kingdom is now. It's not yet now. Listen to this story. This is what it's going to be like. I'm going, in other words, I'm going and I'm entrusting every one of you something. And Mina was something significant. It was not a small thing. It's about three months salary. And he says, I want you to put it to work. I want you to gain from it. So that, and I want an increase. Do you remind, do you remember these words? Be fruitful, increase, multiply. Well, here's the same truth coming. He said, I'm giving you this one mina and I want you to put it to work. And then he says, he's come back. And, and, and so Jesus is coming back and there's a day of accounting. Friends, there's a day of accounting. And can I say to you, as leaders, the mina that God has given you is people. God has given you people. That is the greatest, most precious mina that God has given. Leaders, I'm entrusting these people to you. Put them to work and, and work with it until I come back. And then it says this man came and said, now he called and give me, tell me what you've gained from it. Tell me what, give me an account of the multiplication that you have done with what I gave you. Friends, there's a day coming when God will ask, say, I gave you 30 people and what have you done? Give me an account of the 30 people I gave you. How have you multiplied it? How have you increased it? Give me an account. Hebrews chapter 13 it tells us that, verse 17, that leaders are people who must give an account. I want to remind you, as leaders, there's an accounting that you and I will have to do. And say, God will say, I've given you these people to work with them. Because I want increase. I want, my goal is to fill the earth. And I'm in giving you these people to be part of my purpose, my purpose in seeing the earth filled. What have you done with it? Well, the first man came and said, I, out of 10, I got, out of one, I gained, bought 10. Superb, well done. Second man said, I, with one, I have gained five more. He said, well done, superb. And he rewards them accordingly. Then the third one comes to them. I knew you would ask for an account. I know you're a hard guy and you know, yeah, I, I kept it safe. I kept it safe. He had dug it on the ground, wrapped it and dug it on the ground. He wrapped it. He didn't just put it in the ground. He put it in, tied it up, wrapped it and, he, and came back. He dug it out and said, here, I did not lose it. Well done. Yeah, take it. You know what Jesus said a 
about uh, the nobleman said about this man he said you're a wicked servant wicked servant why one you had a bad attitude and with your bad attitude you just if you had taken that one and put it in the bank I'd have got interest but you just came and just returned one friends this is serious stuff God is serious about multiplication God is serious about an increase and I do believe that's what discipleship is about because he wants every Christian every believer to be fruitful discipleship is really about helping people being fruitful that's why Jesus said you've got to work with it till I come back don't stop pandemic no pandemic keep working with it with this goal that the believer is fruitful but God is with us and Jesus said that in Matthew 28 he said go make disciples and the assurance and the encouragement is I am with you he gives us grace he gives us the enabling he's with us in this discipleship process making disciples hard work awesome work but he's with us he's with you dear leader he's with you in this awesome responsibility he's given us to make disciples make disciples who will be fruitful who will who will bring in the increase who would pray for those outside engage with them and do good to them that they would taste and see the people outside would taste and see that our God is a good God and that he would be equipped to share the good news with them draw them in and continue to engage with them teaching them all that he has learned including the fact that as a father has sent me so send I you may God give revelation give understanding out of these words that we have shared this morning this day and may God help us to work with the people God has given us can I pray father I thank you for Jesus thank you that you loved us and sent Jesus to search us out and find us thank you Jesus you gave your very life for us how great is the love you've lavished on us Lord help us we want to be ones who live in you live in the great love that you have for us let your word live in us richly as as you have commanded us and out of that we would be fruitful we would draw other people to know you praying for them engaging with them sharing the good news with them and drawing them to you lord help us help us to make disciples help us to make disciples who will make disciples help us lord may our lives may the lives of the people whom you have given us be fruitful in every good work that you've called and given us to do Lord will you continue to be upon us give us understanding of you and your ways and may your name be honored and glorified 
we pray what you said in Habakkuk. May the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friend. Thank you for listening.